Welcome to We Are Meaningful, a podcast where we transform the anonymous experiences of black and brown talent into powerful audio narratives. Each month, we center the dialogue around a common theme, providing you, our listeners, with the tools and resources you need to help navigate, grow, and thrive in corporate spaces. Our stories, experiences, and our voices are meaningful. We are meaningful. Just like anyone else, I was building an interdepartmental network who could vouch for me. A necessity if you want acknowledgement from organizational leadership. So imagine my surprise when a tenured employee complained that I was not supporting her appropriately and put this in an email to my manager. I asked for clarification with every intention of understanding my shortcoming and really just looking for a resolution with my accuser. My supervisor told me not to worry about it. Why? Well, because my written request for feedback had caused this woman so much distress that she began to, wait for it, cry and whine that no one wants to help her. So to avoid dealing with it, my supervisor pulled me off the project. There was no closure for her or me, but the work still had to be done. Later that week, the culprit took to vacation without completing the task, and who was asked to step up? Yep, me. Just as I was speaking with my supervisor about the situation, in an attempt to display my commitment to teamwork, a client lead walked past our cubicles and asked, What are you over here bitching about now? All you do is bitch, bitch, bitch about things. I stopped mid-conversation with my white male supervisor and asked, Did she just call us bitches? His look of surprise and my disdainful expression validated, one, that it had actually happened, and two, it wasn't okay. He said he would handle it, and he had seen it happen. So I was relieved, and I trusted him. I let it slide for a few weeks, waiting on due process to run its course. When I asked if it had been resolved, I was given no follow-up information. Got it. We were sweeping this under the rug. Two incidents of not feeling safe in the workplace. Two times I'd done my part and followed proper protocol. Twice I had been let down. By the policy, sure, but by the people who were supposed to protect my psychological safety, too. Little did I know that my perceived reputation had followed me from this unsubstantiated gossip, and it had weight. I was taken off projects to avoid anyone being held accountable for my behavior. It was normalized for these people to speak negatively and disrespect employees with no repercussions. These mouths hold the cards for projects and career ladder movement. I am now stalled in my progression because of it. Not for lack of trying, either. I went into the interview process for a leadership role, unsuspectingly, and one of my panel members brought up the year-old stories to serve as proof for their final judgment of, I would not be a good fit for the team. My biggest regret? is holding my tongue in those moments 
and playing for the system that I trusted. This system wasn't built with my safety or innocence in mind. I was so concerned with not seeming like an angry black woman that I didn't show up as I should. And they ended up elevating that stereotype anyways. Now, I'm not responsible for the perceptions that others have of me, and neither is leadership really. But when it ends in rumors that people use to discriminate against me and my work, someone missed the ball. And it wasn't me. And on today's episode of the We Are Meaningful podcast, we're joined by Veronica Appleton. Veronica is a scholar, practitioner, and author. At DePaul University, she serves as a lecturer of intercultural communications. Her research interests include race, equity, and behavior change. She completed her undergraduate education at Purdue University, graduate education at DePaul University, and a doctoral degree at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology. Appleton's work has been recognized by Crane Chicago, Fox Chicago News, Chicago Sun-Times, WGN Chicago, Sinclair Broadcasting, and Diversity Journal's Top Professionals in Higher Education. Welcome to the show, Veronica. I am so happy to be speaking with you guys today. So you've had the opportunity to hear the falsely accused narrative. What were your thoughts and reactions to that narrative? And from your work, is this story familiar to you? Oh my gosh, you know, all too familiar. Um, What I've noticed is that there are numerous parallels between the wrongfully accused, the workplace, and the playground, if you will, right? Historically, and in many subtle cases today, we've seen the pain that women have endured and they've been normalized, right? These experiences have become accepted. Um, In the narrative, we see that there are bystanders, right? There are some who have silenced their voices because they do not want to get involved. And some who have stereotypes about who you are as a person, who we each are as people. And one action deemed wrong in one's eyes is a perceived reputation that will follow you in performance reviews, promotions, and or even references. Now that's from the landscape of the workplace, but in the form of the criminal justice system, there are some other very paralleling types of experiences and examples that come to mind, right? And there are case studies such as those of Alice Johnson, those of Alexis Martin, and even those cases that we do not know today, right? Some of those voices have been silenced. There are many women that are still suffering in our prison systems today. Johnson, um, who was sentenced to life in prison by a U.S. court in 1996, she was quoted in a BBC article in August of 2019, stating that I participated in a drug conspiracy and I was wrong. And she wrote that. Right? She wrote that in 2016 when she was given an opportunity to share her voice. And she continued by saying, it's hard to imagine that I have now served 20 years of my life sentence for that one mistake. Right? In the narrative, we find that there are many mistakes that we may make. And for some reason, 
We keep repaying for those mistakes by the perceived reputation that follows us, by our violator who may have done that wrongful action toward us. And in many cases, even like of Alexis Martin, she was sentenced to life in prison at the age of 15. And she will now be released along with six other Ohio prison inmates um, very soon. And this is due to the COVID-19 crisis, right? So we find that many of today's issues have a continuous impact on not only our criminal justice system, but also on the workplace. Um, with Alexis in particular, you know, she was forced into prostitution and sex trafficking. This is a life that she didn't ask for. And she was forced by the hand of her violator. And because of this COVID-19 pandemic, she's now receiving clemency. In the workplace, and in, in seeing how this parallels, right, there are many times where black and black, black and brown women, they will not receive the clemency that they deserve, right? The freedom to be themselves, the freedom to raise their hand when they want to ask a question or to share their perspective. And we've seen many cases where there's been tremendous success, where we see smiling faces. We see advertisements that are highlighting the positive images of people of color. But for some reason, there's still this very large cohort of people, black and brown women that are still forgotten. Um, and as I close on, you know, kind of your question, I met Alice Johnson um, in 2019 at the Essence Festival bookstore. And it was really awesome meeting her. And, you know, keep in mind, she was released the year before that, right in June 2018. And while she was autographing my book, right, because she wrote a autobiography, kind of a memoir of her story of sharing some light in, in the world that we live in today. And my immediate thought when she was autographing my book was, wow, this could have been my mom. This could have been my aunt. This could have been my cousin. This could have been any woman in my life that I care about. And that one decision that she made, which she deemed a mistake today, it will continuously follow her. And I'm happy that several people stepped in to speak on her behalf, to uh, give her the light that she needed in order to shine. And so it really reflects in, in the work that I do, right, every day, of not only teaching the subject of intercultural communication, but also the power of equity, right? The power of not having to ask for permission to get what you need, not having to ask to communicate with someone from a different culture because it's the right thing to do. No, we're doing this because we're supposed to, we're people, we're humans. And I think that that narrative is very telling of the world we live in and, and also the, the criminal justice system that, that we see today. The parallel that you make, I think, is is really interesting because when we talk about psychological safety or when we hear about psychological safety, typically we talk about it in terms of the corporate space. But we don't think about once you leave the corporate space, are you psychologically safe? 
And I think that issues around psychological safety outside of the workplace um, are more acute for black and brown people because of the stereotypes and the bias and how people perceive us. We can't necessarily um, speak up for ourselves if we do and we're in a situation with law enforcement, for example, that may not go that well um, because we decided to speak up, stand our ground, say, be assertive, whatever it is. We don't have that psychological safety, whether it be in the workplace or at home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what I love about the term that you use, right, the kind of the phrase psychological safety, it was truly stated quite profoundly by Paul Santagata, um, who's the head of industry at Google. And he literally stated, there's no team without trust. Uh, when he was asked about the topic of psychological safety in a Harvard Business Review article. And for the last 20 years or so, many researchers and industry experts, they've defined psychological safety in numerous ways. From not being punished when making a mistake to, you know, showing up without consequence of negativity toward one's role or self-image or matriculation within an organization. These are just some of the ways that psychological safety has been defined, but also how I've seen this phenomenon occur in the workplace. Yeah, and I, I love your call out like Crystal was saying before, because I think typically we have a bit of tunnel vision about what happens in the workplace, right? And we don't necessarily understand the broader implications of it in society. But even now we're seeing that the way we behave in society, we don't just leave it out the door, leave it at the door rather, when we walk into the workplace. It's something that you carry with you always. And I would even also challenge that maybe the workplace has more rules, regulations, and systems that are supposed to be protecting us, that are supposed to be providing us with more opportunity uh, to speak out against the things that you were just talking about within psychological safety. So in your mind, uh, what are some actionable next steps that black and brown women can take to navigate these spaces that are or aren't psychologically safe. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think that there are several steps and, and tips truly for women that come to mind. And today I'll share two. Uh, one in particular is the power behind interpersonal risk-taking. Um, I believe in many of the young professionals and even some mid-level professionals that I've mentored, I always encourage them to take the risk in being themselves. And we hear this really, really often, right? We always hear, bring your authentic self to work, do your job, make sure that, you know, things are good on your end and that you improve and that you innovate. But in many instances, it is very difficult to innovate under the pressures of a non-psychologically safe workplace. And, um, you know, I, I always encourage my, my students even that you've earned the seat that you possess, right? And asking for permission is not a part of your plan. 
you have to own those moments of risk-taking and interpersonal strength. And we've seen this risk-taking behavior even on the playground, right? When we were younger, you may have played on the swing sets. You may have used the monkey bars or you slid down a scary slide, whatever the case may be. That same type of mentality can translate into the workplace. You can play with the big boys and the big girls. You don't have to be afraid of those scary projects. You don't have to be afraid of those projects that require more of your time, more of your effort, more of the strength that you possess. And then also kind of working through those moments of ambiguity and heightened pressures. Because let's face it, depending on where you work, you could be a healthcare worker during this, this time right now, or you could even be you know, working in a law office. Right? You could be an attorney. You could be working for a gaming organization. You could be working for a university. Wherever the case may be, you are going to experience pressures. You can't hide it. You can't run away from it. But how you handle it, how you maintain your own personal psychological safety, I think that that's where you're going to separate yourself from the rest. Um, which brings me to my second tip, which is to share your voice and feel safe. Even in those moments of uncertainty, you have to contribute. You have to raise your hand. I could think of many instances where I was truly afraid to stand up and say what I believe to be true, where I was told that half of me was, you know, down here and the other half was up top. I remember having those moments where people were telling me that I couldn't do anything. I even remember it was about maybe six, seven years ago. I showed up for an interview at a recruiting firm that was going to find a role for me. And I show up and the woman, she looks at me, a, a black woman even, and she says, look at you. Why would I send you to work for any of my clients? And at that time, it was a very, very difficult time for me. I was transitioning from graduate school into the workplace and for someone to talk to me that way, who I believed looked like me, was a huge problem. That because the suit that I had on, it wasn't nice and shiny. It was just a regular old suit. And I still wasn't good enough. So even your appearance can be daring sometimes. I always encourage my students to believe that you know, you have to hone in on the skills that you have. And sometimes many people that you meet, they can see your future before you can. And sometimes when people can see your future, they say things in that present moment that will put you down, won't make you feel right, won't give you the encouragement you need in order to get to where they see you're, you're going. And that comment, it really resonated with me. The other comment that I was told maybe about three years ago, a white man said that half of my skills were down here and then the other half were up here. And he used his hands, like literally using one hand to kind of illustrate being down at the bottom and the other hand of being all the way at the top. And he said, you are 50-50 right now. 
And when he told me that, I literally, I couldn't bawl. I couldn't cry in front of him because, of course, we're taught not to cry at work, not to feel as if we are truly psychologically safe at work. We're taught that fearness is, is a part of, part of the job. But in that instance, it wasn't a part of the job. It was a part of his mentality that I couldn't change. There was some form of a bias that I couldn't remove from his mind about either me or about black women. And I wasn't going to try to fix that for him. I was going to move on and do what I have to do. So I could have moved at the pace in which he deemed right, where he said I was 50% down and 50% up. That mirrors that, that, that gray area of being falsely accused of having skills and abilities that are not related to who you know you truly are. So I think that in order for women, all women, and specifically black and brown women to be the, the, the humans that they have been created to be, they have to literally remove that falsely accused paradigm from their mindset and have the power to innovate, boost, and improve themselves and also the teams that they lead and the teams that they're a part of. Every time you walk into your house, you know who you are. Every time you walk into that job, you know who you are. And as I kind of shift the conversation a little bit, you know, you could think even as a child, you know, there are vivid memories of where we each have challenged ourselves, right? No matter what another kid thought about us, we said, you know, we're big, we're tough, we know what we're doing. We can easily run away from someone that we thought were bullying us. But sometimes those little kids that may be bullying now, they can grow up into bigger bullies in the future. And we've seen this in the workplace. Biased behavior, discriminatory behavior, not treating people the way that they should be treated, not getting, giving people the promotions that they deserve not hiring people who you know deserve a chance. Bullying comes in many different forms and that has a significant impact on the psychological safety of employees and the workplace. So as I close, I, I think that, you know, there's, there's a, a significant amount of tips, but those two truly come to mind, right? Have that interpersonal risk-taking ability and two, share your voice even when you're uncertain. So those tips really resonated with me. And one of the stories that you talked about that I just felt like maybe you were <laughs> overhearing a conversation <laughs> that I've had in my past as well. Um, when I graduated from graduate school, I had a degree in MBA and HR management, but I had no HR experience. And I went into a recruiting org very similarly as you did. And the woman who I talked to was a black woman. And I felt like I was psychologically safe with her. 
because she looked like me. So I'm like, I'm safe. I can, you know, disrobe and really just tell her what's going on. Like, what is it that I'm trying to get to? Like, what are my goals? What have I done so far? What are my plans for the future? And by doing that, she literally did the same exact thing to me (laughs) that was done to you, except she wasn't referring to the way that I was dressed, but more so the fact that I didn't really have the skills. So she told me that your resume is light, your skills are light, no one's checking for you, basically. And I walked out of there feeling so defeated because I had let my guard down for someone that I thought had my back because they looked like me. Um, And I, I would say that's probably one of the first lessons that I had in psychological safety. So I really appreciate you um, sharing your story as well. And it's just interesting um, that we all as black and brown women have these stories that overlap um, from our past or current experiences. So you mentioned that you may have more tips to share with our listeners. So if listeners want to reach out to you, where can they find you online? Yes, absolutely. I always encourage folks to reach out to me um, and I can be found online via LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and also my website at veronicaappleton.com. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the We Are Meaningful podcast. Follow us on Instagram at wearemeaningful.co and visit our website to learn more about our community and how you can get involved. We're excited to hear your thoughts on today's episode. Talk to you next week.